0: Dr. Tracy Golston. I teach African-American literature at Alabama A&M University and you are listening to Rebuke. Hi,
1: I'm Ronnie Faison. I'm the principal and CEO of St. Francis de Sales High School on the southeast side of Chicago and you're listening to Rebuke.
2: What's up, everyone? It's Marcus with Rebuke, and we have a great show today. Uh, Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast and share the podcast on your social media platforms. Also, if you'd like to be a financial donor, please look for the donation tab or icon on the app there that you're listening to, to donate to help the podcast, help the Black community, and one day donate scholarships to Black men and women attending college. Uh, When I was in Michigan... And that was when I was heavily in my um, ministry back then. Um, I missed out on the opportunity to participate in a group to bring African-American history court classes to Michigan. And it's one of my biggest regrets in life. I was, I think about it all the time. Like, man, I could have been a part of history. Now, if I say these names, I'm going to say some names and then I'm going, and then I'm going to uh, talk about them. Who is Valerie Thomas? Who is William Stills? Who is Dr. Gladys West? Now, if you got to scratch your head and wonder who are these people, to me, as black people, we have a problem. Valerie Thomas is a black woman that invented 3D. (laughs) If you go to the movies and see 3D, that was because that was done by a black woman. William Stills. Everybody talks about the Underground Railroad with Harriet Tubman. Williams, if Harriet Tubman is the driver of the Underground Railroad, William Steels is the architect of the Underground Railroad, and Dr. Gladys West, she is the inventor of the cheap GPS system. Without her, lolly all be lost. So why I'm bringing these individuals up is because when uh, we don't learn this stuff in school, we learn this stuff. I learned a lot of this stuff when I was online, when I was a grown man and I feel that's a problem. So I did some more research on this and I was like, Connecticut became the first state to offer African-American studies in the nation. August 13th, 2020, Texas became the fifth state to offer a state-level African-American history course. So although the U.S. has made some strides to incorporating African-American history in the school curriculum, I mean, middle school and high school, it has some long ways to go. So the title of this show is, uh, Where is My History? So I want to thank uh, Ms. Faison. And Dr. Golston from Alabama A&M University for coming on the show. And Miss Facing, your school is, what's the name of your school?
1: Sure, St. Francis de Sales, and we're located on the southeast side of Chicago.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, you, all right. (laughs) South side till you die. That's right. (laughs) We'll talk later. Oh, cool, cool. Now, um... Uh, Ms. Faison, I want to go this question for you and then I'm going to go to Dr. Goldston and then Dr. Goldston will take the next question. Uh, Why is it important to have African American history courses being taught at the middle school and high school level, especially you being a principal at a high school level? So why is it important? I think the essence of who you are determines your future, right? Um,
1: If you don't have any concept of where you come from or the identity or culture of of who you are, like that intrinsic thing, I don't know that you can continue through life and and be successful, right? I I don't know if that, uh, without that, you can be a well-rounded person. Um, recently I reached out to my kiddos and I said, um, tell me about what you know about the civil rights movement, right? Like, tell me, tell me, what do you know? Like, what are the core things? And, um, one of my students raises their hand and says, oh, I know all about the civil rights movement. That was a movie, right? Mm. And my heart, right? Mm. sank, right? Like everything in me sank. Because all I could hear was my grandmother, who grew up in Arkansas, right, telling me that she would pass a sign every day on the way home from school that said, nigga read, nigga run, right? So, I mean, we grew up with those stories embedded in our hearts and so that we knew who we were. When we walked into a room, we knew our history. We knew where our family was from. We knew their trials. We knew their tribulations. And so with all of those things, I carried understanding that if they could do those things, there was nothing that was insurmountable for me. Right, if they could face those challenges and my grandmother could walk that three miles to and from school, right? And continue to pass it and still educate herself that anything that I had to face was in inconsequential, right? Like I could do this work. So I think when we educate our students about who they are and their past um, and the stories that live in them, right? We, we give them what they need to face all of the current obstacles that are in front of them. You can't continue to move forward without understanding your past. So, and I think one of the work, some of the work that I'm doing now is making sure that that's embedded in who our students are, right? And in, a, in an authentic way, because what we do really well is we go... 28 days we got it right we we got we got black history month that's one month out of 12 right like right. that's not a it has to be authentically um put in every single subject right black history is not separate it is part of this nation's history and it should be acknowledged in everything that we do not just for 28 days right that's not enough um, and so the work that we're doing curriculum wise is to really embed those things in every single piece that our students, um, you know, th- that they are. And research tells us this. Right. Research tells us that if 36 percent, 30 students have a 36 percent chance of graduating. Right. Better chance of graduating with one uh, with one faculty member. That's a person of color. Thir- it, 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 like that grows by 36 percent. If they have one staff member that looks like them. Right. So can you imagine if we coupled that with staff that look like them? Right. And then we coupled that with a curriculum that really reflects who they are, what we could achieve, what students could achieve. So Mm. I think it's 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 such a large question, but it's needed. Right. And I think we're so scared of it and we want to we want to compartmentalize it and say, 28 days, we've done our due right? But what about our Latinx students, right? Who are who stories, the Black story and the Latinx story, those two things play together, right? And, and, and at the moment that we figure that out, I think we're empowering our students, right? They, they get how their stories play together. They're not separate stories, right? Like to be Puerto Rican is to be Black, right? To be Cuban is to be Black, right? Th- those stories are the same. And I think we really have to do a better job, and, and I can say that as an educator, of, of making sure our students know who they are, like intrinsically know who they are,
2: well, uh, the doors of the church are open. Sit <laughs> <laughs> it off already, Doctor Ghost. Do you have anything to add on that, on that? If you don't, we can go to the next question.
0: I think she absolutely covered it, but I I, I just think about when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said in the opening, that was something that I craved, that I wanted to know, because I you know I can recall just sitting in a history class and not hearing my history or or hearing about anyone that looked like me um and just to be completely honest I got in trouble a lot in history class because I always asked where are the black people and I had you know I had a a, I don't want to call her racist I don't know what she was but you know I had a teacher who pretty much just told me what do you mean where are they I was like you're never telling us about our history and she said I did tell you she used to tell us about her um maid or her help that was our history in February we got to hear about Lucille and how Lucille made the best greens and so this is like in the age of dial-up becoming a thing right so I went back home and I'm on AOL and I'm like looking I started researching and I went back to school like what about York tell me about York There was nobody named York. Yes, he was. He was in and Clark. Tell me about York. You know, so it it just got to that point. And thankfully, I had a really um, good chemistry teacher who allowed us to take chemistry time to make posters to put outside her door (laughs) of famous Black people throughout history. Of course, they got us. But yeah, I think if, if you and this is a perfect time to add that into we have students now who are you know all about we're we're woke now, right? This is the perfect time to to play on that and to add to what the students want to know, and then not just for Black students but for all students. This do you understand what this would do for um, race relations? What it would do for America if we actually taught history? In a uh, cumulative way We talked about it in a honest way And not just those one-sided portrayals It would it really help um, Not just us, but everyone And so we absolutely need it I think, it, as you said, it's the foundation
2: Great ladies, great ladies Great ladies, y'all should be ministers <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Goldston Black history is usually uh, talk usually Talks about us being Slaves the civil rights movement, the boycotts. You might get a you might get an inventor in there, George Washington Carver, but it never deeps dives deep in, into the into our rich history. Like um, um what happened in Oakland in 1966 and the 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 Black Panthers, you know what I'm saying? They doesn't talk about Stokely Carr, Michael, how he used to work with Martin Luther King and the Panthers. You get what I'm saying? Uh, they don't talk about, you know what I'm saying, although they don't, they're scared to talk about it, but they don't talk about the 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 Haitian uh, revolution and that to the fact that, um, matter of fact, I have a book. Lord, I have a book. It's now, all of a I can't find the book. Matter of fact, if, if it wasn't for those slaves beating the French, the United States would not receive all the land west of the Mississippi for dirt cheap all because of black people but we don't want to d- that d- uh dive deep into that do you think that is intentional by the u.s educational system why they don't deep dive deep into our rich history and we're not gonna even we're not even going to talk about what carl g woodson talks about in the the miseducation of the negro in his book but go ahead go ahead go ahead and answer
0: that question absolutely think it's by design. I mean, if, if we just want to stay on the surface of it, history repeats itself. So if I taught you your history, you could build on that. You have a blueprint and you know how to make it more successful, right? If I taught you about the revolutions and I taught you about what made them upset, uh, Frederick Douglass quote, you know, you, you see how much a person could bear and then you know how much to put on them, right? If we continue to stay quiet about Um, not knowing our history, then that's just what it's going to be. They're not going to give it to us. It's absolutely by design to not talk about Black Panthers in the way that they should be talked about, but to make them to be the villains, right? Mm -hmm. It's absolutely by design that we don't tell you about um, Black independence, that we don't talk about Marcus Garvey in the way that we should talk about Marcus Garvey or Move 9. Um, All of that is because once you know that history, now you're equipped to fight your current situations, and to prepare for your future. So, I mean, it's, it's no, you know, mystery why Texas would tell you that slavery was voluntary work, that they voluntarily got on a boat and came over here for better conditions. For right. 10 years, that's what they taught students with it, through the Texas um, textbook. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at the U.S., you know they don't want to fight. As, as the children say, they don't want smoke. So they're not going to teach it to you in, in the way that it should be taught
2: okay okay miss Faison, you like i said you you're a principal you think yeah, i mean this, I, you think it's intentional
1: I, I i of course i think it's intentional and i think at this this point it's very clear and i think um dr goldstein said it the best right is that if you you know we know during slavery they you didn't uh allow them you know slaves to learn how to read or write and why was that you keep them ignorant right? Um, and I think it's, it's by design that we are kept ignorant. And so also, and we're not allowed at the table, right? I sit in, in, in conference rooms all the time with a lot of people that don't look like me. Um, and, and there's a sense of intimidation, right? It's a sense of imposter phenomenon where I turn around and I go, I have to work just as hard and 10 times harder to be allowed to sit at the table, right? Um, I I truly believe education is the great equalizer. I believe that, um, you know, and that's why I keep referring to Dr. Goldstein as doctor, because she has earned every single moment of that. Right. And, and she's part of a very small group of people in this country that has, that have earned a terminal degree. And why is that? Right. It's because the rich continue to get rich, right? And the poor stay poor. And it's the, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the books, right? But our kiddos aren't picking up those books. They're scrolling through TikTok. They're scrolling through Instagram. They're not taking the time to really ingest those things that could make a difference in their lives, right? And it's our responsibility as educators to stop and implore them to look at those things, right? We, we were teaching in a classroom recently and a young lady got up and she says, why didn't anyone tell me this? Why didn't anyone tell me? And she was so angry. And the feelings that she felt were raw, right? Mm. Why didn't anyone tell me about it?
2: Tell Why you about what tell, about tell you about what?
1: Tell me about my history. Oh, um. Right? Why didn't they tell me that these things happened? Because she had sat in classrooms year after year after year through most of her life and were told things like, uh, black people immigrated to this country. <laughs> immigrated? Is that what we're calling it? Because being shackled and thrown inside of a ship and traveling across the sea is not immigration, right? Like that, that's, that's, but we do things and use terminology like that to suppress the real meaning of things, right? We have to give our kids those opportunities to lean into the discomfort, to have those conversations that are hard for them, to be angry, right? Like the, the difference during the civil rights movement weren't adults that made the difference. It was young people. Mm-hmm. Right? They were kids mm-hmm. and we need to empower our kids to have a voice in those things. And I really push our kiddos to have an opinion, right? Just don't talk about it, right? Cause anybody can write anything on, on Facebook. I'm really upset about it. Upset is not the emotion that I need you to have. I need you to be moved to action. Let's do something about it, right? If it's not fair, then let's fix it. I shared with uh, you know, Mr. Jones earlier that I'm the first principal of color in uh, in my school in this role in 80 years right? I'm leading a school that my father, right? He would pass by from the Southeast side, pass the school, and he had bricks thrown at him. If you would have told this same man that 30 years later that his daughter would be leading the school, he would have called you a liar. It was incomprehensible to him, right? That a majority white school would then have a leader that's Black. So I I think that's super important, right? Allowing our kiddos to know who they are, to understand that, our history is most certainly being suppressed, but what are they going to do about it? Mm. What's going to empower you to make the difference, right? And it's it's not going to be through Facebook and it's not going to be through TikTok, right? You need to get into the rooms where these people are making decisions and be the decision makers, right? I get to put I get to put Black History as a class in my school because I'm the leader of that school, and you can't tell me that I can't. You can't. Right. I'm going to put Latino history as a requirement for graduation because I can't. Right. Because it's needed and it's necessary. And I think we need a lot more courageous leaders that are willing to say, I'm, I'm going to push away from the status quo. Right. I'm going to do the hard thing. And there's some there are a ton here in Chicago. Right. Leo principal at, at Rawls, which is an all black, the only all black um, high school in Chicago. Right. And Shaka Rawls is doing that work. His, his, he has a requirement for African-American studies in his school. You cannot graduate from Leo without him. He's raising men, right? And, and I think we just need to be in the response, in, in the place, in the responsible role of understanding that we're not just teachers, right? It takes a tribe to raise a child. We are part of that tribe and we have to raise them to, to confront these issues and problems head on.
2: Mm, mm. Man, I need an organ and a choir behind me. This is getting what <laughs> I tell you, I tell you, I tell you. Um. Mm. Uh, now, I forgot who's supposed to answer this question. It's so good. Oh, it, it's Miss Faison. It's you. Okay. Okay. Um. Shit. Since you said you're gonna bring it in your school, you're gonna bring it. You're gonna bring Latino, y'all. You're gonna bring all that. I, I'm with that. Yeah. Now, should that those courses be elective, or they should be mandatory? Because the reason why I asked this question because. I think a couple a month or so ago, in Utah, the white students asked to leave the African American history <laughs> program because they they didn't want to be part of it. But we got to be part of the the George Washingtons and the Thomas Jeffersons. And oh, by the way, they are, they had slaves. You dig? But we got to learn them people and and as our part of our lives and our part of their curriculum. But they they don't have to they don't have to listen to our stuff and it's only 28 days. So that's the question. Should, if you're going to bring African-American history to your school, should, or you're just going to make, it uh, be elective or you're going to try and make it a mandatory course? It's a mandatory
1: course. So, um, What's interesting is that in the state of Illinois, you, there's only two years of required history, right? You need a U.S. history um, and you need a civics, right? That's all that I'm required to, to have my students take. Uh, most of you, colleges and universities are asking for at least three years uh, and most want four, right? Um, as, just as a full, you know, you look like a well-rounded student. Um, for me, right, I think it's super important leading a school of predominantly Black and Hispanic students that we are really living that, that vision for our school, right, in everything that we do. I can't do that by picking and choosing what that looks like, right? Um, also, the world is not singular, right? I am not singular. My my mother is Mexican and Puerto Rican. My father is black. I cannot tell you where one thing starts and the other begins. I just am, right? And I think it allows me to lead with my heart in a very uh, intentional way, right? Where I can see from many different perspectives, right? I, I don't know where one begins. I know what it means to be Puerto Rican. And I know that those Black slaves came to Puerto Rico, and you know they do what people do when they get together with the Taínos, and they had babies, right? And that meant Puerto Ricans exist, right? And so I think I I come from a specific place in saying that I think I I only understand the world around me because of who I believe myself to be, right? And that history that is embedded in me, um, and I had parents that really really breathed life into me in that way, right? And that uh, I was to be proud of who I was in all parts. And me and my sisters grew up that way. But I think for our kiddos, um, it's a mandatory thing. And I think it's only mandatory because they can't get to the next part of their life without it, right? I mean, we look at places like um, like Massachusetts, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at their state requirements uh, or their curriculum, right, they, they mention, I think it's like 60 times, 60 plus times, the word slavery um, and, and, and oppression. Right. And they're being very intentional with their standards in, in Massachusetts, right? But then we look at places like North Carolina, right? Who to this day, right now, if you looked at their state standards, they would still use the word uh, you know, immigration for black people that entered into North Carolina or South Carolina, right? I mean, it sounds ridiculous. So I think there needs to be a standardization of what that curriculum looks like across the board. Mm-hmm. Right. I really think there needs to be, right? We're again, we're Maybe it's not a specific class, but it has to be part of the core standards so that every single student, no matter what, where they are in, in the country, they have to touch these topics, right, in an authentic way. Those we those are things that we can do well, right? Those are small steps that we can make in, in, in doing things or making right the things that went wrong. Um, you know, just to make a parallel very quickly is, is, is Germany, right? After World War II, they did a really good job of leaning into discomfort, right? They had a lot of things to make amends for. And, and yet we find that Germany leaned in, said, what can we do to fix this? Let's open up the lines of communication. Let's, let's admit that we made a mistake. I really feel as though the U.S. is still saying, it happened. What does anybody want to do about it, right? Why are we still talking about this? Well, why are we still talking about this? I mean, let's just look at wealth in this country. It's it's very few that have it, right? And they, we there's a there's a head start that others got that we didn't get, right? And so the reason why we're still talking about it is because equity doesn't exist at this moment. I have babies that live twenty three less than twenty three miles away from downtown and have never been. Wow! Live on the lakefront and they've never seen downtown Chicago. Why? Right. They're living 90 or all 100 percent of our students qualify for free and reduced lunch, which means that most of them, if not all of them, uh, fall below the poverty line. My kids aren't attending private school because they can afford it. They're all being supported by outside funding that allows students to attend my school. None of their parents are paying tuition. Right. All of them are, are families that need support. And I was one of those kids. The organization that that covers our school sponsored me and my family. The only reason why I was able to break through generational poverty was through the assistance of others, right? My family couldn't have done it. It would have been impossible, right? Or almost impossible. And so what the work that we're doing now is informing students of who they are, the past in which they've come from, and then allowing them to break through those those barriers that exist, helping them see that you can right? It's possible, right? I asked them, if you can go anywhere in the world, money was no option. Where'd you go? The furthest we got was Wisconsin Dells that was the only thing they can conceptualize because they knew someone that had gone to Wisconsin Dells. They didn't know anybody that had gone to Paris. They didn't know anybody that had gone to Germany or anywhere else, right? The closest thing that they knew of someone going out of town was Wisconsin Dells, and that's the furthest we got. Our babies can't dream, right? They, they haven't figured out that their dreams should scare them. And so that's the work that we're doing. So it's bigger than curriculum. It's bigger than the state standards. It's bigger than just informing them of who, you know they are Rustin is or you know claude calvin right it, it, it's bigger than those things they have to understand right that they can dream bigger than themselves that they aren't confined to the you know three blocks in which rule their life right like this this work is bigger than just the
2: history classes right mm-hmm. we got
1: to give our babies the the right to dream again
2: right i'm with you i'm with you dr Goldston. uh You you are a professor at a HBCU and I'm quite sure you have students that enter your course kind of, I'm not trying to, the word ignorant, when I'm, when I mean ignorant is the word ignorant means not knowing. So, um, should, based on what you heard or um, what you've seen over the past years teaching at uh, universities. Do you think that African-American history should be elective or mentor before they come to your university and take your course?
0: I would love it if it was. I mean, just like you said, based on the students that I've seen come through, I am amazed. I'm, I'm always amazed at and not just at the HBCU, but even when I was at a PWI, what little they knew and not just, you know, the, the big names but I'm always surprised about what they don't know happened right in their own cities or their own states, right? So, I mean, teaching that in Tuscaloosa and having students come from Birmingham and not knowing anything about 16th Street or not knowing, uh, you have you know, having students not know who Emmett Till was. How do you live in Alabama or Mississippi and you don't know these names, right? So for me Whew. to start from the beginning and say, wow, or, or even to come from Chicago and not know, right? Um, I have just... Was it 2019? I had a student, I guess we were recruiting really heavily in Philadelphia. So we had a lot of students coming from Philly. None of them knew Moonlight. None of them knew any about the African class. None of them knew this stuff. And it's like, you didn't know the U.S. bombed a city right on its own. So, huh, they wouldn't do that. They did, right? So I would love it if it was a mandatory course. I would love it if they came through with that. But I think we as Black people, are going to have to demand that uh, it, maybe it starts as an elective I mean, maybe we need to stop electing when we choose to know our history mm-hmm. you know it, it becomes a fad it becomes cool to know a black history fact every now and then so I, I really would wish that at the minimum it's an elective because um, like I said right now the desire is there so even if it was elective I think we'd be faring better than not having it at all and only requiring 8th grading you know U.S. history or whatever your state history would be.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Miss, mm-hmm. Go- um, this question I, it was targeted to you, Miss Goldston, but I, I I made some I made some minor changes, and I, I, I apologize to y'all no ladies. Um, uh, so this Miss Doctor Goldston, um, we we're, we're saying a lot about the school system. But are we expecting too much from the school system? Should the parents and the churches be doing a lot more to incorporate black history in their our, their children's lives versus the schools as well? That, I know I, I sprung that on you. That's <laughs> no, no, that mar-
0: absolutely that... fine because one thing that I would love to see personally, um I have really close ties to a, to a local barbershop here. And I'm always preaching to them, you need to get back to what it used to be. We need our churches. We need our barbershops. We need the places where we fellowship, where we are known to hang out. That needs to be the place of learning. That needs to be the first point. If we know we're going in there on a Saturday, we need to come out with some knowledge. Something that we didn't get before. It's not just, you know, we, we, we got to move away from just who was at the Grammys, who was performing, who was doing this, we have to go back to the core. If we know that the system is already stacked against us, if we know that they're not trying to teach us our history the way it should be taught, then absolutely, that responsibility falls on us as a community. Mm. As a community. So I I really believe that, and and I don't just mean a local community, I mean a community of Black and like-minded individuals. That's right. Right? So for me, the church needs to return to its roots. The church was the place that if you needed something, you went right there. If you needed information, you went there. It was a networking system, right? The church will put you in contact or connection with where you needed to be. Barbershop needs to do it. Your parents need to do it. But like I said, again, we got to start being elective in our learning. For us, it's like, oh, so, you know, McDonald's is sponsoring this 365, so let me get behind it. When do we sponsor ourselves? When do we decide that, hey, I want to know. I want to teach my children. I want to pass this down right and that's why I, I really love these um, new things that are popping up like the book clubs and teaching the children the, the subscription to books for children, black book um, black books. I love that because if the parents don't have that knowledge, go there. We need to be able to provide it because not all parents know as Miss Fason is saying that some of us don't come from that background where we have access mm-hmm. to the information. So if we don't have access, but, you know, nine times out of 10, we're getting a haircut or we're going to church, that information needs to be there. It needs to be there and it needs to be available and it needs to be easily accessible to us. So, yeah, I absolutely believe it's on us as a community to teach it. There's no reason that we're, we're sitting here waiting for one of our elected officials to put forth a bill to say this is going to be mandatory. We can do it. I, I think this is even a brilliant thing that we can do during the pandemic. We got Zoom, you know, let's connect and do Black history trivia or, you know, pass out facts. That is on us. It, it starts with us. It's always been on us. From the b- very beginning, we, oral history, we were teaching ourselves and passing on our history. What happened to telling those stories? What happened to the remembrance? As a community, we're, we're moving away from that. We're moving away from that. I mean, where are the elders? Where are those who are supposed to pass that knowledge? I'm doing my part. But yes, as a group, we need to make sure that that's our that's our motive.
2: Mm, mm, okay. Miss Faison, you, like I said, principal. And
0: yeah, I'm quite
2: sure I... you got parents getting on your neck. My
0: child ain't doing this, man. You should be doing that.
2: Maybe or do you feel that way hey, maybe you should be teaching your kids this history and I wouldn't have to do this curriculum. So expound on that. I think
1: and you know what? I think there was when I took the position or accepted the position, there was um there was a welcome ceremony and um this young woman um she must have been, you know, class of '78 in uh, at St. Francis, um, and she was only one of three black students. And she walked up to me and she started crying. And I said, "What happened?" You know, and we're just a tiny little school on the southeast side, right? I got 110 kids, um, and and we're not we're not a big school, right? And, oh, okay. And I crying, and she said, um, she said when I read in the newspaper, right, that you were the principal at St. Francis de Sales, she said I started crying and I started yelling. She said my husband ran into the room. And he said, what's wrong? And she said, she said, look, right? And, and it moved her that there was a person of color in that role, something that she didn't think would happen, right? And then there was a responsibility that came with it too, right? Um, there's a phenomenon and I don't even know that researchers have figured it out. There's a community school model, right? And it works, right? It, it, it works and they really can't say why it works. There's no reason why my school of 110 students, right? A tiny little Catholic school on the Southeast side should have as much um, connection to the community as we do, right? So we have had um, six COVID uh, testing opportunities for our community, right? Um, We're creating spaces in our school for our community to come for like internet access. Um, You know, I know uh, she talked about it a little bit a few minutes ago, but being able to go to the church and go, I don't know how to fill out this form. Help me right i don't know how to file unemployment how do i do that right our school is that beacon right it's a beacon for the community to go i don't know how to do this help me and it's that community model right that puts the responsibility not just on us and not just on our parents but everybody we are our brother's keeper right we are we have that responsibility to each other and the moment that we start realizing that and really taking that responsibility seriously i think that's when we're most powerful Right, this is a is is a tiny little school, but I have a community that's so proud of me. Right, I go to work every day and I drive to work and I go. They pay me to do this job, right? They they pay me to do this, right? I get to you know represent a community that doesn't get represented. You hear about the South Side in the news, it's not good, right? right it, it's right. not because about the South Side of Chicago and going oh it's so nice over there, right? We're not hearing that, right? So when they get something, our community holds it tight. Right. And the, the amount of support that I've gotten is is amazing. So I don't get those calls to say what I'm not doing enough of. It's always how do we do more? Right. I got families saying I don't have a lot and they don't have a lot. But how do we put our resources together to support more kids? Right. And, and it's, it's amazing to me what we do. Right. And and then you team up with other schools that are tiny like us. And then the way that we're able to support others is a beautiful thing. So I, I think it is, this, you know, I, it, it's a big burden to carry. But I also understand that our babies, the three meals that they get may be the only three meals that they get all day, right, with me. I had a baby sit in my office about a month ago, and she cried. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, the only people that love me are right here, right? So then what do you say to that? So yes, it's not all the school's responsibility, but it is, right? We have a responsibility to our babies. I have a responsibility to make sure that they eat and that they're safe and that all of those things happen because they trust me to do that job. So you're right, it shouldn't be, but we got parents that are young parents, they don't know, right? And so we cannot, um, and they're doing their best. And I think I sit in meetings sometimes where parents will look me dead in the face and go, I don't know what to do. I don't know, right? And they honestly don't know and they're just looking for help and resources. And so to that, I say, I wanna create and I'm creating a culture in our community that says, come home, right? You need something, come home. Right, you need, you know, I don't care what time it is. I, I have joke, but it's, it's serious, right? Everybody on the southeast side probably has my cell phone number, and I'm okay with that. I give it out like it's like handy, like I don't care. You need something, reach out, right? And it's because I want them to know that I'm just Ronnie. I'm not principal facing. I'm not CEO facing. I'm just Ronnie, right? If you need something, come home. And I think we just need more people to do that, okay? To put, put all the differences aside and go. If you need me, I don't have a lot, but the little bit I got and the little bit you got. We can make a difference. And then I think our babies grow that way. You know, um, I just, and, and and I, and purposely and, and really intentionally, I bring in uh, speakers of color each Friday, the friends, people that get referred to me, but they allow our kids to see themselves in places that they normally wouldn't. Right. Um, I met a neurologist literally on Michigan Avenue, when we were doing this uh, Rosa Parks tribute um, design and he stopped and I said, would you speak to our kids? And he said, I'd love to. He said, when else are they going to see a black neurologist? Mm. Right. And so our kids got to see that, right. They get to go, okay, maybe I'll be a neurologist, right. Because they may have not even known that that was possible for somebody that looks like them to do that. Right. After this, I'm going to stop Miss Tracy to say, can you please come talk to our baby so that they know that they can be professors at, a, at a, you know, at a huge university, right? Because I'm so proud of what she's doing. I don't know her, but I'm proud of her. And I think even as women, we need to do a better job of going, I see you, right? I see your accomplishments. I'm proud of you. And it's not a competition. I, I really am so proud of you, right? Like, and I think that's part of the culture that we have to build in each other, in our community of just saying, come home. I got you. <sighs>
2: <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> it's, it's, it's emotional. <laughs> Only a rebuke podcast. Oh, y'all ladies need to stop. Okay, you done, Miss Facing? I'm
1: done. That's
2: it. Okay, don't make me cry on my own podcast. It's live. Okay. Peace. a guy, what's order again? Okay. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's Miss Faces' time—the lady that makes people cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, New title. <laughs> uh, I went to a PWI as well, and I went to a HBCU. I went to actually the the, the university that uh, Doctor Goldston is teaching at to get my master's. Um, at the at the under the, the PWI that I got my undergraduate in, they have a non-black teaching african-american history and a lot of african-americans are upset about it when these courses come available at schools and at your schools and other colleges should only black people teach them should people with degrees in african-american history teach them as well because it's very important to have somebody of that community teaching because somebody you know you wouldn't hire me to teach Irish History, <laughs> you getting me So I, I mean, I mean, I'm curious You being a principal uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that
1: Sure, I think um, You know, working on my dissertation currently Right, I, I went in to look for studies That kind of were about the black Experience, right, about uh-huh. the female experience. And you know what I found Three, right Three, three dissertations that talked About imposter phenomenon In women of color three dissertations. That's insane. Like we're all experiencing it, even if we don't necessarily know what imposter phenomenon is. And and I'll do just a short thing. Right. It's the idea of having to be several different people. Right. So I'm Ronnie principal. Right. And then I'm Ronnie at home. Right. And then those two things never match because the person that I have to be in the outside world is very different than who I am with my family. Right. Or, Or with my close group of people. And so those things you're asked to be something that you're not, and play pretend as a way to redefine yourself so that it makes others feel more comfortable with who you are, right? So that you fit into the dominant culture's idea of who they think you are. Um, And then, but then it also causes all of these feelings within you, where you feel like you're not enough. Uh, You um, have a sense of of loneliness, right? Uh, You feel like you have to be ten times as good to be in the same room, and all of these things are, are very real things, right? And I think. Um, I couldn't have done this research without it coming from a very real place. And when I talked about my limitations in the, in the project, I had to say that there was a bias that I was already coming in with, right? Understanding that this was a very real thing for me, right? Um, I sit in rooms all the time with people that don't look like me, mostly male, right? And all white. And I sometimes have those feelings and they're very real. And and so I couldn't write that paper from a very authentic way if I if I didn't know it, right? And so I think that's really important. And so the short answer is, I think it's most, it's, it's definitely necessary, right? In the same way that it's necessary for our students to see people like them in the classroom. In that very real way, I think it's imperative, not just in you know a black history classroom, right? But in every single classroom. And right now what we see is a teaching sh- shortage, right? And and we see um, not enough teachers, right? Because we don't compensate them appropriately. And so not very many people going, no, what we're gonna do? We're gonna become teachers, right? We're gonna spend $50,000 to make 30, right? And and that's a very real number, right? I'm not making those things up. Look at what a first year uh, principal makes in the archdiocese, right? Uh, about 32,000. So your debt when you come out of uh, college is a lot, lot more than the $32,000 that you'll make right? And so, um, with those things being said, I think that it's so important for this, this perspective and the experience, um, to be shared in authentic way in those classrooms, right? You can't talk about, uh, feeling a sense of otherness if you've never felt a sense of otherness. And some will say, well, you know, everyone experiences that in one way or the other. I get it. And I understand that. But until, um, recently I was in, in, in Jewel, and I had bought, uh, I bought like a, Thing of cupcakes and flowers. I mean, I probably spent like $10 and I didn't get it back, right? And so I had the receipt on top, and I was walking out, and, and the lady said, uh, excuse me, ma'am, did you pay for that? I said, it's like 10 like I'm like $10. Like, what are we talking about? I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, I need to see your receipt. And I hate myself, right? I hate myself that I gave that woman that receipt. I should have just walked out, right? And and so at that moment, another person walked out who wasn't, didn't look like me. And she said, bye, have a good day, right? But I had stolen the $10 worth of cupcakes that were there. You see where I'm going? So unless you've had those experiences, mm-hmm. I don't know that you can't, right? My father, he him, my mother used to fight all the time, right? And fight fight about this, this particular thing before I make it seem like my parents were just crazy. Um, but he said he said, he goes, you'll never be able to teach them to be black. He said, because your experience will never let you. He said, you cannot experience and My mother would get so mad. She would get so angry. And she would say, but they're my kids. And he goes, but you'll never understand what it means to be a black woman. He said, you'll never be able to teach them that. He said, you'll never experience that. And the day will come, right, where they will turn to me and they'll understand. And there was that moment, right? Uh, We had grown up in a predominantly black and Hispanic community. So we didn't feel it there. And then I went to college and I went to a predominantly white college, right? And so I remember going on a service trip to Kentucky. And we walked into a store and who I assumed were my friends and they walked in and they said, uh, the lady behind the counter said that nigger can't shop here. And I turned to look at them and they looked at me and that look said, you go wait in the car. They didn't take up for me. Right. They didn't say, oh no, don't do that. We're not going to patronize this place. They walked in and left me at the door. And like, I remember calling my dad, I was like 18 years old. I called my dad and I was like, can you? And he was like, I told you. Why are you shocked? Right? He grew up in Arkansas, so he knew, right? He mm. said, Why are you shocked? But they kept us in a community with people that look just like us. So we never experienced that otherness. So I think, unless you've had these experiences throughout your life, I don't know that you can authentically give that experience to kids. And really, you know, it's not what you know, it's how you transfer it, right? That's what makes a good educator. It's, I can know everything in the world, but if I can't transfer that knowledge in an authentic way, kids don't pick up on it.
2: Church tabernacle tabernacle <laughs> dr golson you up next
0: let me tell you i'm gonna tell you a little story oh boy <laughs> so <laughs> when i was working on my graduate degree i sat in on a hiring committee uh and the position was for uh african-american what well, they were going to be teaching some african american classes mm-hmm. okay, like african-american literature african-american studies mm-hmm. um and, you know, we had had several applicants come through. This one guy in particular was a white guy, middle-aged white guy comes in and he's doing his talk and someone asked him, why did he feel he should teach this course? This guy's answer was, well, obviously I'm white, right? I, you, you can see that. He said, but this is a PWI. And being a white guy teaching this, it gives it validation. They will be more likely to believe it. That was his answer to the question of why a white guy should teach African-American courses.
2: That sounds like white privilege. Because he would
0: validate it.
2: Sounds like white privilege, but go ahead.
0: Absolutely. And the fact that he felt comfortable in a room full of black women... There were at least 10 Black women, some of us graduate students, some of us, um, two were professors, the rest were graduate students, that he felt comfortable saying, my whiteness would validate your experience. My whiteness would validate your history. Right? And, and, and in a sense, we I mean, we were hot, we were fired up on the inside. But in a sense, we had to come to terms with that. We are at a PWI. And in a sense, he's right. At a PWI, he would have more weight in the classroom than I would. Absolutely, he would have more weight in that classroom. And I'm thinking, you know, you, you're you from the area, Mr. Jones, right? hmm Okay. Um, Birmingham has a section. Mount Brook, I don't know how familiar you are with Mount Brook, but Mount Brook has these very uh, not PC ideas about people of color, right? Oh, you talking if, about the in a Classroom. Yes. The <laughs> In a classroom, when I walk in that classroom, I had a section of students who were from Mountbrook. Every time I opened my mouth, they discredited everything I said, or they rolled their eyes and they were not here for it. So when I did my teacher evaluation, the guy who comes in was a Latino. And he said, That section is cold. I said, They're from Mountbrook. He said, Oh, okay. I understand. That so that guy saying I'm white. I'm going to have more of an emphasis on this than you would was absolutely right. But does that make it okay? No, we should teach it for the same reasons that she just mentioned, because that is our history. We are the ones that lived those experiences and that can make those experiences relatable, but we do have to come to terms with white people are entitled. And also I want to add that how many cases have we heard since Rachel Dozier, how many cases of white people passing as black now in this field of African-American studies or African-American literature? They are taking on a black identity to teach our courses. Because to be white and teach it, it seems like they're on the outside of it and and they want to be on the inside. They want to make it relatable. And so people are passing now to validate the black experience so not only are we fighting for these scant positions, these jobs that aren't there, but we're also fighting others who don't look like us to teach us, about us hmm,
2: well I'm gonna, if I was (laughs) y'all ladies, I would have locked that door and gave them a little something something but that that, that's just me, y'all might (laughs) have lost jobs, but at least he wouldn't know the black experience
0: (laughs) on the outside On on
2: the outside um, Doctor Golson, this this next question goes to you, and then uh, uh, Miss Faison Miss Faceon, should HBCUs assist PWIs and high schools to develop the curriculum of African American courses? I mean, I when I I, when I this you know and Trace Doctor Goldson you know, I've been trying to get this podcast episode for almost six months now. I, and I reached out to Harvard, professors in Harvard to come on this show. I reached out to Tuskegee. I went out to Howard. So, that, the, re, the reason why that this show is airing today instead of six months ago is because I was trying to reach out for, for the big dogs. So then I saw Miss Faison. You know, okay, you know, you know, nice, little nice African American woman with the prince. Let's bring her in the mix. Uh, should you assist? Miss facing on her curriculum for African American history. <laughs> Take your time.
0: I think that is so loaded and and the reason I think it's loaded is because <sighs> I hope I have a job. After this. I don't think HBCUs do enough to teach our history. So how can we provide a curriculum for PWIs when PWIs are probably teaching more than we do? Oh, And now before I started teaching, at, now I didn't come from HBCU background, I'll say that. Before I started teaching at an HBCU, I had a friend who was enrolled at Alabama State. I didn't mean to say the name. She said, they're not teaching us any history. It's not an emphasis. It it would be an elective course, but it's not a required course. How at an HBCU is it not required? I don't understand that. And so now even teaching African-American studies, I don't feel that we give it the same attention that we give, to American literature. I've taught both. And when I teach American literature, I taught it in sections. This semester coming up will be the first time that we're teaching it in two sections, uh, that we're teaching African-American literature in two sections. Why? At an HBCU, why is that the case? So I would absolutely say if we can come up with a curriculum that would rival Some of your big names that are already doing the work? Absolutely, why not? But then again, why are we doing emotional labor? Why would HBCUs do an emotional labor? Why would we do the labor at all to teach PWIs how to treat this subject? This is 2021. The information is there. The professors to teach it are waiting and available. Hire them. Hire them. Don't steal them from the HBCUs, but hire them. They're, I mean, it's a surplus of people who are ready to teach this information. Um, I saw that Virginia is organizing a curriculum that where they want to teach it in high school, but they don't have teachers. How? Where are they looking? Where are they looking for the teachers? I mean, that that's my, I know at least five people who are currently sitting on the job market with no one hiring them. And,
2: and not
0: just in the South. Yeah, go ahead. Can you send them to Chicago, please? <laughs> I would absolutely tell them to go, I, and I'm a, I'm so serious. I'm absolutely serious, but I'm I'm conflicted on that because I don't think HBCUs should do the the labor for PWI when the information is there, the people uh, um, experts who are ready to teach it are there. But at the same time, HBCUs got their own work to do.
2: Ooh, yeesh. well facing um I don't know how to answer this question <laughs> I'm uh, I mean, I, I'll be okay since you're doing a dissertation and i'm I'm gonna trying to <laughs> would you need some help Then with your school would you like some outside help or what Dr Golson is talking about uh this is already available just hire
1: I think that the moment that you think you don't need help is the day you need to get out of this profession. Right. I think um, a good leader is a good student. And so I pretend to know nothing. Right. Right. I surround myself with people that are way smarter than I am um, and, and help me to make good decisions for kids. Right. I think at the moment where you go I don't need no I don't need nothing nobody I know everything that's the day we sit down somewhere because you are not being truthful to your story and your spirit um I think that um, I would love to get some people in a room to just talk about you know there's so much right like I spend so much time uh, continually learning and touching and wanting to really feel feel things right um you know I wanted to touch like people always think I'm super weird because no matter what state I go to, I have to go um, to a plantation, right? Um, and the reason being is I want to touch it, right? Like I want to feel, um, I want to feel something, right? You go, and, and, and it sounds weird, right? But if you go to um, Charleston <laughs> and you go to the old slave mart and, and you stand in that room, in that space, right? Uh, it moves you, right? In a way where you're angry and you're hurt and you're um, disgusted, Um, at what was allowed to happen and what and then you make parallels to the to the present right Um, in the same way that when I went to Poland and I walked into Auschwitz right you get that same feeling of what the hell happened right like what why did this happen right and I think I would love to get people in a room to, to give me validation of what the things that are you know a year can go by so fast 180 days can go by so fast how do I put everything that they need to know about being a black American into 180 days. Show me how, right? Because I can't, I don't know what's not important. It's all important. Right? How do I, you know, segment, okay, we're not gonna talk anything about that, right? Like we're not even gonna talk about the fact that there was a culture and a life before any black person stepped on on this soil, right? Like we were warriors, we were princes, we were kings, we built, we we, we built, right? Like the most, the wealthiest man in this world was a black man. So how do we, how do we not touch that, right? How do I fit all of that in a hundred?
0: The essence of who we
1: are as black people into 180 days, and I think that's what I need help with, right? As I build out our curriculum, I don't know how to segment or take pieces out because it's all relevant. What do I do?
2: Well, let me let me uh, let me touch two points with you, Miss Faison. Uh, I, I remember I went to my homeboys uh my, my my college roommate's wedding and we had to fly into uh Myrtle Beach and I had to drive from Myrtle Beach to Charleston and all you saw was signs to these plantations and I don't know about you why you love them. I hated it because I felt like the spirits were talking to me, my ancestors were talking to me. Like, oh Marcus, Marcus, I'm like, no, I don't wanna go. <laughs> So, but you gotta listen, yeah, yeah, well, I didn't listen that day. <laughs> <laughs> maybe another day <laughs> that, that day. But I, to answer your question about that hundred and eighty days, I, 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 in my vision of African American history is is four parts. It's before. Uh, just you know, you don't have to listen to me because I ain't. I don't work at those no school, but I, I I read a lot of books. I read, read a lot of books about African history as a passion of mine. I'm gonna have to talk to Doctor Golson. Maybe I can get uh, a, 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 a certified in African American studies without going through four years of school again because I don't want to do that. I already been in school, but um, uh, uh th- there's there's a time before before slavery. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That that is a, before slavery. That is. A a, a a history course in itself, 180 days. Then there's the slavery, the the sla- uh, uh, transatlantic slave trade into to slavery in, in, in the Western Hemisphere. That that is a 180 day course. And then you have the, the after slave, 1865 to the Reconstruction and Jim Crow. That is uh, that is a course. Then you got the Civil Rights Movement into to now. So I gave you like. Four sections of history, and in which would include the Harlem Renaissance, the Jim Crows, the Reconstructions, all the inventors, uh, you know, uh Chuck, uh, you know, um, the, the creative rock and roll, you know, what I'm saying the Chitlin circuit, all of that, all <laughs> that, all of that will never all you won't miss anything if you have like a four-part series of African history. You get what I'm saying? And and then all the outside books, you know, what I'm saying the the, the miseducation of Negro and all the other stuff. If you add, incorporate that into this curriculum, that that may be an idea. I'm just shooting an idea. I'm just shooting an idea. But you you need help, just give me a call.
1: No, no, no <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> And if I had it, oh, I would I would devote. I think we'd get rid of a lot of classes, and I'd be like, we don't need this. Let's just do it this.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 so, yeah. Yeah. So let's see here. Um. This is the last question. Um, Ms. Faison, what are the courses of actions of things need to be done in order for African-American studies to be mandatory in all 50 states? We, we just, we, uh, in my introduction was five. How we can get it to the other 45?
1: I think, uh, and I think this was elegantly said earlier, um, is that we can't wait for someone to come and save us. We have to save ourselves, All right. right? And I think, I don't know that I could put it any better than that, right? I, I think we have to make it a priority. Um, I think it's going to take a community of people to say that we really want this. I, I also think it has to be the uh, the push by, um, by leaders, right? In, in our buildings to say, this is really important. I sit in rooms with, um, you know, Isby all the time, and we have conversations about how do we bring right uh, more persons of color into the world of pro- professional leadership. Um, and as I sit in those rooms of, you know, twenty people, only two of the people in that room are black or Hispanic or anything else, right? And so, if we're having that conversation and we can't even get twenty people in the room of color, right? And you're asking me to speak on behalf of every black person in, in Illinois, I can't do that, right? And so I think in a very authentic way that leaders, school leaders in in, in every state have to be courageous enough to say, this is needed, we need this. And they have to believe it, right? Because I have, I sit in classrooms all the time with uh, superintendents and and leaders who go, why is that even important, right? There's no emphasis on, on, on the need for it. Also they're leading mostly black and Hispanic schools. So honestly, Right. I, I really think it has to be courageous leaders, courageous parents who speak up and say enough is enough. This is really important to me. And students. Right. As students are powerful. I mean, when they you know, when you can empower them to have a message and believe in something, they'll run all day. Right. Right now we're suing um, the, the state of or, well the city of Chicago and the health department uh, for a, an unsavory company that's moving to the southeast side. My kids are standing behind me 100 percent because I'm showing them that not only am I going to talk the talk, but I'm going to walk the walk right? I'm going to go up against the mayor, right? A tiny little school on the southeast side, we're going to fight Mayor, mayor Lori Leifey, But And we're okay with that. Right? Um, and, and I think we have to give them the backbone to do it. We have to give them the the, the power to do it. So I, I don't think we're going to get saved. I think we have to be our own saviors.
2: This is the same mayor wears those funky suits?
1: Yes, the oversized bad ones. Please don't. Somebody's going to find that and like clip it out in Senator.
2: Never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Gostin? <laughs>
0: Sorry, I thought I heard you say 50 homeschools in all of the states. Is that what you said? I ain't say
2: nothing about homeschools. I said, what are the courses of actions need to be done in order for African American studies to be mandatory in all 50 states in in our school curriculum?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're going to have to teach it to yourself. I, I just don't see it. I do not see it becoming mandatory in all 50 states. I mean, if it happens, and you know, it, sure it will, but five years, 10, I'm a pessimist. I don't see it happening. Um, and, and the reason I don't see it happening is because, as she said, we have to empower students. We have to empower students and their parents. We have to make them understand the importance of their history, right? Right. So if we tell them right now, you can protest for anything you want. Do you think the history is going to be at the top of the list? No, because mm. we have not put it at the top of the list. We have not made it mandatory. And as a teacher, I'm not even comfortable. I mean, teacher, parent, I'm not comfortable sending my school, child to school to learn Black history right now. I don't think they're going to do it justice. They're not. I mean, and I'm going on the education that I received, right? And I also think this is A little off topic but as black people we have to be willing to teach our history in totality we have to be willing to look at it and i do the same thing when i teach american literature i'm not going to tell you one side of the story that just makes them look good right i need to teach that whole person like she said she had a student that was just outraged and you know why didn't i know this I read my a book, When the Walls Came Tumbling Down, um, based on Martin Luther King's life, written by his friend Abernathy when I was in undergraduate. I think I maybe was a sophomore in college. And tears literally streaming down my face. Why didn't I know this about Dr. King? Because we only hear that, you know, he's a minister and he did such great things. I didn't know about the CD stuff. And that hurt to learn the CD stuff because we taught we put this man on a pedestal. So, as black people, this is probably not the answer you want, but we're going to have to be willing to talk about our leaders and the pe- the parts of our history in totality. I don't think the public education is ready to do that. I don't think that they're equipped to do that. And hats off, shouts out to you, Miss Facing because you are doing the necessary work to put it in the curriculum and to teach it and enable others to teach it in the way that it should be done but 50 states all of them where they're still murdering us at at will just lump school killings wherever you think they're going to teach us our history i'm a pessimist maybe i should have told you that before i came on the podcast but yeah i don't see that happening (laughs) i do not
2: maybe you should i'll just play i
0: should have but yeah you're gonna we'll have to homeschool but it goes back to your question of networking we will have to establish that within the community and once they see and once we raise the awareness and maybe the generation that's coming afterwards or the next generation will be able to demand that those courses are taught in an authentic way
2: thank you dr golston well this is the end of my show um, I want to thank Dr. Golston and Ms. Faison uh, for coming on the show and sharing their, their knowledge and wisdom and the insight about African-American studies in the U.S. Uh, high school curriculum. Um, I usually have something to say, but um, I'm going to say a poem that I wrote. And it basically expounds what we talked about today. I I, I write poetry, too, a little bit, you know, Um, I'm not not too heavy like I was in college, but there's a poem called Black History is Our History, you know. Um, Let me see here. Uh, And it goes something like this. Our history didn't start from plantation and slave ships. Black history is full of kings, inventors, scholars, warriors, activists, and queens. But in the classrooms, none of this rich history has been seen. From lavish kingdoms and glory from the motherland to the first black president, Barack. Black history is not only the foundation of America, black history is the rock. We are the reason that the U.S. defeated the British and you were able to write the U.S. Constitution. Black slaves helped the U.S. gain land west of the Mississippi because of the Haitian Revolution. Queen Naughty, Valerie Thomas, Alderwells, and Dr. Gladys West. Black women are strong, beautiful, and divine. Not having them in our history books in school should be a goddamn crime. From King dreaming, and from Michael by any by any means necessary, Black history shouldn't be taught. Should be taught to our kids 365, not just 28 days in February. See, Black history is U.S. history, and without our history, it will not. You wouldn't have the word U.S. because us is is part of history. It because of us. You have history. It's because of us. You have this financial uh, uh, mega power. Because of us, you have your your you're dominant in everything black history is u.s history thank you that's my poem i hope y'all liked it i, I made it in just today if i had a couple of days it'd probably more, be a little bit more dynamic but it is what it is um thank you once again dr goldsted and miss Faison, for coming on the show and, and sharing your wisdom and everything please don't leap i need y'all to say y'all little plugs and everything so don't don't leave after i say go so before i leave i always leave the leave the audience with my favorite saying is that knowledge is power economic freedom is salvation but if you put the two together we can we can build a great nation this is Marcus with rebuke and we'll talk to you soon peace